Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today was born in Washington, D.C. and moved to New Mexico when he was three years old. Comes from a family of wrestlers. His father, brother, and uncle were all champions in the sport. In 1992, after graduating from Rio Grande High School, he founded his own martial art. He's the co-owner of the Jackson Wink MMA Academy in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is widely considered one of the top MMA training camps in the world. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Greg Jackson. How are you doing today, sir? I'm well, boss. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I appreciate your time. I'm, I'm glad we're able to do this. Oh, thanks for having me. That, definitely. My pleasure. My pleasure for sure. So so what we like to do with all my guests, I want to go back to the beginning. Uh, obviously, I, as in the intro, I mentioned you have family or wrestler, so I'm guessing maybe that was it. But I'm just curious, where did that first spark, that first interest in some type of martial arts come from? Uh, actually, it was a wrestling. Okay. Um, it, uh, I, it, is, it was necessity-based. So I was raised in the South Valley of Albuquerque, New Mexico, that has a very, uh, at that time, had a very machismo culture where um, the kids didn't really care if you could play soccer or if you were good in school, but the, the kids I was uh, growing up with just really could care if you could fight or not. That was it. So uh, okay. I figured I learned how to do that so that I can have some self-respect. That's always nice. And to be able to go where I want to go and say the things I want to say, um, it was a bottom line there, right? Like you could be like, well, you know, I'll call the police and they, the kids would be like, good. Like I get more meals indoors than I do out here in the world. So <laughs> wow. uh, it was, yeah. yeah, there was nothing to take from them. So, uh, you, uh, you had to learn how to fight. And so it wasn't like I watched a Bruce Lee movie or, you know, anything like that. I was like, no, I just, I need to, to figure out how to do all this stuff. Okay. So, I did. so where, where did that lead you then? Was that, did you do some research on your own? Did you ask your parents? Like what, what age were you? I did. Well, about, five years old is when i started i went to kindergarten and started being exposed to that world uh okay. and so uh shortly thereafter i asked you to martial arts and my parents put me in aikido oh. uh, which was good yeah it's not a great street martial art though mm -hmm. at least early on so uh i had problems with that had some bounced around to some other traditional martial arts but basically just went back to wrestling stuff and kickboxing a very primitive form of that um did that for a lot of years just trying to figure it out on my my own um after i bounced around and a bunch of different arts trying to find oh maybe this one oh maybe this one um we were doing a very primitive primitive form of mma when mm. ufc came out but that was it was all necessity based it wasn't i didn't like uh there was nobody to teach brazilian jiu-jitsu here in the early 90s there was nobody to i mean the kickboxing was good we had some really good kickboxing some good boxing stuff mm -hmm. but no ground so uh, uh yeah it was uh it was a journey 
Well, I know you, you mentioned Aikido, and, and uh, the one thing, uh, depending how long you did it, though, I know the one thing I learned when I did, I did Aikido for, for less than a year, but the best thing I learned from that was how to fall properly, which is such a such a good and unique skill. It is. It is. They do that well. And there's some, like, multiple opponent stuff I think they do well with their footwork. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say the rest of it, but there's some footwork stuff that you do well. They, they've got some good stuff, and, of course, they borrowed some stuff from Daito Ru Jiu-Jitsu, which is another good art. So, yeah, they they uh, there's, there's good stuff stuff there it's just you have to be able to data mine to find it uh that's applicable and uh i was too young to data mine it right so then through you said you i know after high school you got a lot more involved so during high school so were there a lot of options in your area for martial arts i know you, you mentioned like kickboxing and some yeah. other stuff were there quite a few schools to choose from yeah but they were all kind of the same deal right like okay. it was taekwondo or kickboxing so it was all kind of and and the 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 uh gracie revolution hadn't happened yet right. so it was very very primitive but I figured out that most fights you're wrestling around with and because I came from a family of wrestlers I, I had involved in that a little bit and then I was just trying to figure out what style of kickboxing would uh, would best augment that and uh, even the like I saw Sankaku and uh, the triangle choke at a judo book one time you know what I mean like just piecing stuff together mm-hmm. and then in the mid 90s the UFC came out and all these grappling tournaments started so we at that time we did basically kind of half our time in the UFC style I shouldn't say was that it was the wild west like you never knew what the rules were yep. when you went to MMA primitive days and then the same thing with uh, the grappling uh, grappling tournaments were all a little bit different back then too so we, we kind of did both of those nice and so you did, did some wrestling then while you were in school no well, no i was too busy a, a dumb kid just getting in trouble and doing things um i was the only one in my family not to wrestle wow. and i'm the only one that still wrestles now so there you go uh but yeah my uh uh brother was a state champion here in uh, new mexico my dad took state in illinois in the 60s my uncle took d2 nationals in the 60s as well wow okay ever get any of them involved in in uh mma and stuff or yeah they'd all well they just helped me you know train or, okay okay uh, tips and all that kind of stuff and then i was uh, i always blamed one of my dear friends brad valdez who in, i met him in kindergarten we're still mm-hmm. friends i had lunch for dinner with him last week i'm sorry but uh he came from a family of wrestlers as well and all they were all boxers and so uh and very good street fighters so they kind of took me under their wing when i was very young and i grew up kind of in their house along with my old house okay so now all those different styles you kind of tried and, and sampled the schools and stuff any of those instructors stand out that's kind of made an impact on you i think they were all really good in their own way okay. um, one of the judo instructors just passed jesse Ballou, who'd been doing judo for i want to say 60 or 70 years he was wow. 80 so it had to be yeah um, and he was a legend. Uh, he just passed last month, month before. So yeah, he uh, uh, there was there was a lot of really great instructors. I felt, and it wasn't that they were bad people. They just didn't have the right information for me for my needs. So right. I had to kind of do what we all did in mixed martial arts, which is you know piece of Jeet Kune Do style, right? Take what you want from the menu. Yeah. So then, what what led you to to found your own style, and and where did the name the Gaidu Jutsu come from? <laughs> <laughs> me as, as a 14 year old kid going gaido means street and jitsu means way of is so, that is that uh, how old you were when you came up with that yeah oh wow so, it always makes me laugh when people are yeah when they say because we use it anymore but if you no. know it like you know about my history and stuff i just made uh i had uh, just a chance meeting with uh the, one of the best rappers ever i'm a huge fan of his denzel curry and he knew what gaido jitsu was i was like holy cow you know you're a real deal and you actually know what gaido jitsu is from <laughs> 
the mid eighties or whatever it was late eighties. So yeah, that, that my founding of my own style came from a frustration of not finding what I needed in other styles. I mean, had there been MMA in those days, I probably would have just done that. And the, uh, the silly term gator jitsu would have never existed, but, uh, that, that wasn't an option for me. So I had to do it myself. So do you actually have any like certificates with that name printed on there for like, you know, oh, yeah. really? they, uh, there are students that insist that I promote them in that That's they don't awesome. want to be an MMA Blower Jackson's black, but they want to be gator jitsu black belt. I said, okay, <laughs> what you want. Knock yourself out. That's but, actually yeah, kind of uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like it too. I mean, it's, it's cool to have something that you came up with so young, still mean something to people. That's really cool. Cool. and then i can help them out on their journeys it was really really cool so yeah it worked out nice and so is that basically then what became the greg jackson fighting system it yeah basically we called it jackson mission fighting for a while then jackson's mixed martial arts and then in 2007 mr winkletron tried to retire and i was like no sir we're going full-time and so then we became jackson wink <laughs> nice that's really cool that, yeah that's just impressive so so then at what at what point obviously you were initially were doing it for yourself at what point did you decide you wanted to start teaching others and what kind of led to that well I, when i was younger and kind of getting in, in scrapes a lot uh my friends would see me and they'd be like hey how are you doing what you're doing you know and uh so well, let me back up a little bit. First of all, I, me and my friends would always train together, like me and Brad Valdez and Leo Gallegos. Um, when we were young, young, like pre-middle school, we'd all, or maybe middle school-ish, we'd always train together. He had a little workout room at his house, so we'd lift weights and hit the bag, and, and we would just train together, and then we'd go, uh, because defending yourself was was pretty common at that point. Uh, we'd end up in, in scrapes and scraps. So that's kind of what we did. As I went to high school then, uh, same friends I'd still, but then I met new friends, which I'm still friends with today. Um, and we would all train together. So eventually they asked, well, how was I doing what I was doing? And so I started teaching them even during high school. And then I was like, oh, it's fun to teach people. And, you know, they do pretty well in their fights. So, oh, that's pretty cool. And then uh, at 17, I just continued doing that and opened up my own school. But I kind of always knew I wanted to do that. Okay. I, uh, I didn't think I would ever make money at fighting, but <laughs> uh, I make a, a living at teaching. And I really enjoyed teaching. I didn't love fighting. We didn't hate it, but it was just something I had to do. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, I'm not a violent person. It was just something that it was that in that time, in that place, it was something that I, that I became obsessed with because I wanted to be good enough at it to, to be able to have my self-respect. And so I did that. Uh, and then teaching and helping other people. Let me back up again. So both of my parents are pacifist Quakers. I was raised a Quaker. Oh. So uh, they really hammered. And I have tons of respect for my parents. I think they're the best people ever. And they really hammered into my head. Happiness comes from helping people. Um, they both were you know, products of the 60s in that they wanted to get involved in the Peace Corps, social organizations, make a difference. You know what I mean? Like that, that was their real deal. So mm -hmm. I kind of came from that background. So me teaching and helping people felt more natural in my roots than you know chasing down competition stuff which i never really enjoyed so think back then to when you were when you first started teaching to now what what, what do you think's changed about your teaching style oh man i had no <laughs> idea what I, I still don't know what the heck i'm doing now but I knew, <laughs> I knew even less of what i was doing then i i think just a lot of lessons learned a lot of failures um some successes uh it is really just figuring out how people work what they're you know what what motivates the fighter that kind of stuff i think i'm better at it now uh i'm certainly more balanced i uh 
started out and and pretty intensely. And then for about 15 years there, it was seven days a week where I was gone every week and traveling for fights or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm much, I'm kind of, uh, I still travel like I'm going here uh, this next week coming up and the week after, but I don't travel like I used to do. So we have lots of other coaches that are great so I can delegate out a little bit. That's nice. Yeah. So, so what, what do you think makes your style different than others? I mean, obviously there's, there's been a lot of fight camps that have come and gone and yours is, you know, there's only a handful that have lasted as long as yours. So what, what makes your, yours difference and what do you think makes yours stand out? Well, I'd like to think it's stunning good looks, but probably not <laughs> probably. Um, so I always had to figure out problems, right? Like that was because I didn't have, I think one of the biggest uh, advantages I had was that there was nobody to teach me. So take jiu-jitsu for it. There's nobody to teach me jiu-jitsu, but we were doing all these jiu-jitsu competitions. So I had to figure out in pretty short order, it's physics, it's geometry, how to put these moves together, how to counter their moves that they were doing against us. Um, and we did pretty well. We dominated for a lot of years there, but that was because I had to problem solve. But I think that's the only thing that keeps me relevant now is that I can still do that, right? I can look at a fight or problem solve it not you know i'm not always right mm-hmm. but uh, i i'm okay at it i'm pretty good at it so uh, i i think that that the ability to do that has kept me around for this long where i'm always coming up with new techniques new ideas that don't all work like some of them are you know you got to throw them out but i'm still trying i'm still being creative there uh and so fighters will come for that success because i can problem solve pretty well that's so, my theory. I have no idea what the real reason is. Hey, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So before UFC happened, now, did you guys do any, t- was there any kind of like bare knuckle, no hold bars type, you know, underground competitions that, that you and you, you and your students competed in or not really anything until not pretty, it was all, it was all just fighting on the street before the UFC. And then after the okay. UFC and they started popping up everywhere. They were, uh, in those days, the internet was very primitive. If it was even around, I don't really remember it. Yep. It was 30 years ago, but, uh, so a lot of times you wouldn't know, sometimes you could find out what the rules were. Like they would fax them over to you or something, but, uh, <laughs> nice. most of the time you go to these small and that's where the, the origin of these rules meetings came from is that, uh, you know, everywhere you went, the rules were different. So you had to make, everybody had to make sure they were all fighting under the same rules, which is mm-hmm. still like the referees in the UFC in today's day and age will still come and do a rules meeting before that. But then the reason they used to do that is because no one knew the heck to expect, so yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of the Wild West, those bare knuckles uh, fights, and sometimes it was bare knuckle to the face, sometimes it was open hand to the face, bare knuckle. It was always different. You just never knew, so it was very hard to train for that specific sport because right. the sports were very different. So think back to November 1993. I mean, one thing I love about this interview is me and you were like the same age. We both graduated in '92, so we're, you know we we experienced a lot of this stuff, the same parts of our life. So think back to November '93, the first UFC. What when you first saw it, when you first heard, what kind of what through your mind, and and what do you remember about watching it, and and kind of what what changed then for you after that? Well, instantly you you see the mastery that Hoist had, uh, and he's a he's just such a great dude. I love talking to him, but uh, he, he you see the mastery that he had. And he, I could immediately tell, the, you know, these guys were in, these, they're professors and I'm in kindergarten. Like it was just a, an awareness of the gulf of knowledge. That was a, that was one of the big things is like, wow, I don't know anything, which is a beautiful feeling. I think if you, if you spent your whole life and you get to the end of it and you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to get in your nineties and then you realize you don't know anything that can be rough. 
I suppose. But not, you know, when you're 17, whatever I was, 17, 18, not knowing anything was great. I was like, oh, my God, I have to catch up. It gave me a purpose. So uh, it, it was really positive. Um, I'm forever thankful to the Gracie family. They've been nothing but great to me. And uh, just coming out and doing that, because Bruce Lee did it intellectually, right? Like you did the whole thing with the Jeet Kune Do thing was very similar to what we do in, in mixed martial arts. Yep. So he did it, but he didn't go out there open challenge matches anyway, one right after the other, and then put everybody away the way. And, I, you know, his fans, that always drives me crazy about Bruce Lee fans. They always talk about his fighting ability. I'm like, he's, whatever he was, 135 pounds or whatever. Like, his value is not in his fighting ability. His value is in his brilliant ideas. He doesn't have to be the greatest fighter that ever lived. He doesn't. Like, but he brilliant, brilliant ideas. Like, anyway, so the, the the Gracies went out and showed it. Showed here's how we've been doing this for years. Here's how effective it is, and it, it was a mind blowing situation to realize how little I knew, and it was beautiful and wonderful. And I wish I could relive it sometimes. And I think that happened to well, the smart ones at least that happened to most traditional martial artists. I think after that happened, there was always right. the ones who, who, even after watching, you know, one, two, three, four, like, oh yeah, I could get, I, I could do that. It's not going to happen to me. <laughs> it's like, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> My other favorite one was, oh, we already do all that. We already do all that. I'm yeah. like, really? Because I've never seen karate guys do that in my life. Not saying that you don't, but I have never seen it. Yep. Yeah. The yeah. one I remember was, I think it was, I think it was UFC four. The gentleman, he's actually from the town I live in. I believe it was Ryan Parker who was out there bragging oh. how he had these like magic breathing exercises that would prevent okay. him pr from tapping out. And I think he, Remco Pardo tapped him out in like 40 seconds. <laughs> That's great. I love like, it. Yeah. But, well, that was the tyranny. You remember the A martial arts in the eighties and it was tyranny. Like there were people that these fat guys with their big black belts that they would talk about, yeah, blowing you through the wall with key power. I mean, it was just like this LARPing fantasy world of fighting that just was, was bizarre. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. That, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I still remember I watched I watched that first one and, like, and we were I mean we were freaking out all, all of us martial artists together watching this thing and jumping up and down and high five and thinking it's the coolest thing ever. So it was de yeah. definitely something to live yeah. through. <laughs> it's beautiful to be young sometimes. Definitely. So what the, what led you and what made you decide to? It looks like you've you've written two books now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of what led so those to are that. just technique books. I want to do a strategy book. Probably I'm not. I don't think I'm well, good enough yet to do that. But maybe another ten years or so, um, if I survive, I will uh, try to do a strategy book. But that's just technique books. In those days, there wasn't a lot of access to the. Now you've got like um, the uh, uh, the BJJ fanatics. You got all these great, and you had some like old school VHS tapes. But yep. it was nice just to categorize a lot of the stuff that we were doing at the time. Oh yeah, I know, and that's. God, I think when when I first got into it, the, any for any kind of instructional, we looked for any type of instructional thing for MMA, and I think I still have the VHS copy of um, Marco Huas's tapes. <laughs> ah, that's great! I didn't even know he had tapes. The, the awesome. King of the Streets. Yeah, I still have a couple yep. of those. <laughs> I love it, man. That guy could fight. That was great. That oh, he was, great. was he was fun to watch, man. That was that was yeah. was that him and was that him and Paul Varlins the the leg kicks. Yeah. Or he's just, you could really see the efficacy of those leg kicks yeah. bombing on that. It was great. So fun to watch. So fun. Yeah. So what's, what's the plan? <laughs> what, what do you, how long do you think uh, before you'll probably write another book? I mean, do you have a, do you have a goal or just when you think you're ready? Yeah, I'm so I'm trying to find these ubiquitous underlying principles of strategy, the kind of the same way that laws of physics run the material world, if you will. Right. Uh, just these laws of strategy that you're, that are ubiquitous, right. That, that work in tennis or chess or football or martial arts or whatever competitive 
friction evolution, whatever competitive friction situation, you know, if you, if you follow these ideas, it's going to be a little more uh, beneficial to your survival than not following those ideas. So just, I'm just trying to uncover those. And I have been for like the UFC, all that stuff is just a laboratory, right? For techniques and ideas and all that fun stuff. So I, I would say hopefully in 10 years, I'll have at least the first like version of the book. Okay. The problem is, and I read directors that say this all the time, you like, you, you never want to let it go because then you find, you figure out something else and you're like, Oh, thank God I didn't do the book yet. Cause this wouldn't have been in there. <laughs> yep. Like an idiot. I'm going to keep figuring it's not just slow. Like uh, that's when you do version two, version 2.4, version 2.7. People, people put out keep buying another revised edition. <laughs> Good Lord. How many revised editions is going to do so yeah i'm trying to avoid that we'll see, we'll there you see. Go. nice and then uh are, are you having fun with like the the youtube channel and putting content on there i know there's quite a quite a bit on yeah. there me and michael talked about it a bit uh, it seems to be yeah. it seems to be popular it's good it's it's fun all that stuff's fun it's just fun to teach it's fun to talk about martial arts like it's just especially for somebody like you that's been there and done that and <laughs> it's uh it, it yeah it, the whole thing is just a great time like i I'm trying to think of another job where it would be this fun. And I, I just can't think of like, I don't have to go and sit in front of a computer very often. Um, yeah, it's a great time. And I know Michael talked a little bit about when I had him on uh, just kind of like the, the school and how much you've added on and revamped it, like with dorms and stuff. Just talk a little bit about that experience and you know what, if someone decided to uh, maybe come train with you, what, what can they expect? What, what, what do they see there? Well, you get, it's, it's one-stop shopping. So most schools have, you have to go like four or five different locations and most places. If you really want to, in California and Colorado, there's a lot of that stuff. So it's all under one roof, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, a massive complex, uh, lots of dorms. Uh, it's a massive complex. There's, there's so many classes every day. Uh, yeah, like basically it's the reason that people stay there is just there's so much information all the time from so many different coaches flowing. And uh, it, it, it was really cool to take that next step. We were pretty big and well-known and then moving into that building really kind of I took it the next step as far as volume of people it's crazy now we have like I want to say 100 pros living there I don't know if that's exactly no it couldn't be 100 it's got to be 50 living there and 100 trained anyway it's a lot Um, and yeah it's cool I I go down and teach every day and I just have a great time doing it Uh, yeah yeah I'm just looking at the website you know you have you have dorms you have efficiency studio apartments and you have one bedroom apartments kind of all all price ranges and kind of something for everybody which just looks Absolutely. Well, that's what, (laughs) that's what my big bro did. That's what Wink was a real estate guy. Right. So he knew how to develop the building and, and put all the stuff in there. I'm I wish I was that smart. I'm a strictly a martial arts guy. So, I mean, I'm a strategy guy too, but yeah, it wasn't real estate has never really been my thing other than I own some property, but outside of that. Okay. And then uh, kind of turning corners a little bit, what, uh, what type of involvement did you have with the show kingdom as me and Michael talked a little, a little bit about that and absolutely love that show. I, I had never heard of it and I found someone recommended it and I binged the whole thing in like a week. So, <laughs> uh, well, that was such a really positive experience. So Frank Grillo, the actor yes. who I had met on warrior, the movie warrior that I helped out with, Mm -hmm. uh, he brought me in to beat a guy named Brian Belasco, who was the writer. And that dude's a genius. Like Brian is uh, Byron. I'm sorry. Is a, uh, is just an amazing writer. Uh, and so he would basically pump me for ideas for the script, write scripts, 
show it to me for editing or, you know, what I, what I needed to take out or add in, or, you know, that would, that's the way too unrealistic. I mean, it's all Hollywood, right? It's a little over the top, but, uh, so I was basically a consultant and I would, I set up the gym, the, the, the sets and stuff helped out with that. They wanted a more of a time commitment than I could do for the training, the actors and the fight scene. So I got Joe daddy Stevenson, one of my best students to, uh, run all of that stuff and he just did an amazing job he's so smart so it, it it really was a labor of love i love that the whole thing all the actors were great super uh and none of them were like you think a guy like uh nick jonas would be you know with all that success mm-hmm. he'd be a, a little prima donna but just the opposite man that he that guy worked hard ground sweet kind uh when he did his concert he uh took my daughter and uh her best friend backstage to meet it was just he's just a oh, great cool. dude so it was it was such a great experience I, again but some things i wish i could do again and that's one of them see what my friend told me about it i'm like nick jonas i don't think i want to watch this he's like no, no just just watch one episode and he called me the next day i'm like dude i'm on season two already <laughs> <laughs> just, just going through yeah. it it was so good he's like i told you and i didn't realize you worked on warrior that's awesome another i mean just wow any anything else within hollywood you've been doing or oh yeah you know here here and there i mean i'm not like keith jardine or any of these guys that are like that's their profession but uh i i jump in with they asked me to help out uh I guess the the three that I'm the most proud of uh, would be the, the Warrior. Uh, basically, that whole third act, I had a huge hand in making. Like Beethoven's Ninth is that's all me. All that nice. there's a lot of stuff in there that's it's very me. And Frank like followed me around. He went full method actor and like followed me around. He walked like I did uh, for that movie. That's where I met him. And Joel Edgerton too. Tom Hardy. They're all just amazing guys, uh, sweethearts, hardworking actors. It's always amazing to watch really high level, talented actors do their art. Mm-hmm. Um, like I get that they're pretending to be things they're not. That's cool. But like when they're really good at it, it's impressive. They, and they were all very impressive. So that, um, I had to do, they called me and, uh, Tim Kennedy and, uh, Nick from Ranger Up called me in to do the fight scenes for a, a movie called Range 15, which was had a bunch of uh, military vets in it. So in three days, I came up with every fight scene basically on the on the uh, in the movie, wrote them out. I got to do a fight scene for Danny Trejo, which was a lot of fun. Like who gets nice. to do that? That was that was sweet. That's cool. uh, and it had we had a fight between Zombie Randy Couture and Tim Kennedy, where he like. <laughs> Tim Kennedy's naked and he rips off friends. It was just a great time. It was so silly and ridiculous and funny. And they had a great scene with uh, uh, Clint and Leroy, the two uh, Medal of Honor winners fighting over who's going to jump on a grenade, you know what I mean? Because they both won the Medal of Honor. Anyway, it was just hilarious. It was well done, well thought out, and another great fun time. And then the Kingdom would be the third one that I guess I'm the most proud of. Okay, nice. So then as a someone who's worked a little bit in the industry, but also a, a true martial artist. Curious, did you enjoy uh, Here Comes the Boom? I did. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Boss is, is a dear friend of mine, and he's always funny. Guy cracks me up constantly. Oh, he was it's hilarious. so funny that a guy that's so hilarious could also, like, just so powerful beat you up like he's just you know he's i mean he wouldn't beat anybody up nowadays he's sweet uh you know what i mean like he he can fight but he's so funny anyway really like boss a lot brilliant guy uh and yeah i thought it was i thought it was a a funny movie it was obviously more of a comedy deal right uh so but yeah you know kevin did a great job and and again, old school Mark Delagrati was on there. I loved it. Well, I was when I first time I watched that in the movie theater, and it was like that one of those main fights with um Christoph 
Shosinski. Oh, yeah. I, I judged, first. like, two of his early fights when he fought in Fargo in the early 2000s. <laughs> Ooh, man, there you go. And I didn't realize yeah. he was in it. I'm like, oh, my God, that guy yeah. looks familiar. I had, yeah. to, I had to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, okay. it was a great movie. And honestly, man, Frank Grillo, he, he's one of my dream guests. I've, I've put a few requests out, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed I can get him on the show because he'd be. Oh, he's the man. Yeah. And, and, and Boss, I have uh, also have a request in, so we're, we're hoping. Well, both of them are amazing people. They're just, I can't say enough good things about them. That's good, good. So w- let's say someone approached you that didn't live in Albuquerque. They're, they're in a different part of the country. They're thinking of getting involved in MMA for the first time, and they want to know what should they look for in an MMA school? What are some things they should look for? What are some things they should avoid if they want to find a good school to train at? That's it. You know, I think that's a very good question. I think that it used to be a lot worse than it is now. Um, I think that like the, you, you want to look if the culture is the number one thing, like, because everybody's a little bit different. There's not one school that fits everybody. Right. So you want to make sure that the culture of the school that you're going to is reflective of what you like to be around. If you like to be like around a bunch of bros and then find a bro school, if you like to be around a bunch of people that are laughing and having fun, but train hard, then, you know what I mean? It's just about the vibe that you'd like there and that you get out by trying it out, seeing if you like it, that kind of stuff. My advice for them would not actually be that it would, because you'll figure out the schools as you go through your journey. What I always tell fighters is just get used to disappointment. Like everything about MMA, is going to be disappointing. Mm-hmm. You're going to have disappointing days training. You're going to have your opponents are going to constantly pull out. You're not going to fight for a year and a half because you can't find a fight. Like it's just constant stream of disappointment. So if you're all right with that, then fighting is for you. And if you're not all right with that, find another job because that's what really it's about. It's about it, it just agonizing disappointment training up to just doing so well then getting some huge injury and not being able to train for three months it's just yeah one one thing after the other so that would be my caveat i the school you'll find i mean even if you, you won't like it then you'll figure that out in six months and go somewhere else but it's really do you even want to start it that's the question like okay. can you deal with that kind of that level of high level disappointment of feeling like crap constantly nice that's great advice i like that a lot I'm assuming then as long as you've been doing this, you probably know a lot of the schools throughout the country. So, I mean, if someone called you, you'd probably have maybe some personal recommendations also. Like, hey, I know this guy. Go check him out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just lucky enough to work with a lot of coaches, to be friends with a lot of coaches. So, yeah, I'm I'm, – I've been very privileged. The early days of MMA, there was just so few of us that we really bonded. I mean, it, yep. you know, it, it, it was it was great. Yeah, I know. I, I remember because I, st- I started judging fights in two – 2002 or 2003 um i judged and i judged for over a decade and i remember like yeah. you, you, you didn't they, they'd announce these fighters and they're from they'd name the school and i'd go talking oh where's the school oh no it's just like three guys we meet at the wrestling room at the local high school okay right. <laughs> they all came up with right. g- gym names just to sound legitimate and sound scary and stuff and it's like yeah yep <laughs> back in the day it, who knows? Maybe some of them are still going. Maybe they built something with it. You never know. But <laughs> I hope, I hope that all the success in the world to those guys because that's grinding. You know what I mean? Like nobody cares. Those are the guys you cheer for. Like when you're just doing it, nobody cares. There's no money in it, and you just love it. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to remember the the first live MMA event I saw. They brought one into a local casino, 
And the only fighter I remember that was there was Dan Severn. I don't remember anyone else that was on the card. This would have been like 97 or 98. It was after I moved back from California. And I, I wish I could probably go back and look at his, uh, you know, sure dog and probably figure out where he fought and who else was on that card. But <laughs> I just remember we, right. we went cause Dan Severn was there. <laughs> there you go. That's hilarious and awesome. That's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I was lucky enough to actually get to see him fight in person. I think three times and I judged at least two of those fights. So. <laughs> Oh, great. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. He's a man. He's one of the OGs. Oh, yeah. So thinking back then to the you know, old school UFC to today, are you one just as a fan? Do you prefer the old school, less rules, no weight classes, kind of no holds barred, or do you prefer the new, new stuff? I don't really have a preference one way or the other. It's just whatever parameters we're working in. That's that's the deal. So those days, that's what we worked with, and that's what I'd work with. If there is now, then it is what it is now. Um, I will tell you that it's much easier to make a living now as a martial arts instructor than it was then. <laughs> so imagine. I'm very grateful to the marketing machines that have pushed UFC and Bellator and all the rest of them for all the years out, King of the Cage, all even the smaller ones like that. Like So I'm very grateful for all of those people because it's kind of a combined effort with they uh we we figured it out, and now you can actually make a living at this crazy sport. So, do you wish some of those smaller ones would have, you know, maybe not been engulfed by the UFC and kind of stayed on their own? You know, like Pride and like WEC. Do you kind of wish they were still doing their own thing, or, or are you glad <laughs> yeah, UFC got as big I mean, as it did? I, I think competition is good. Like, so yeah, but I mean, you can't take anything away from Dana. I, oh, no, <laughs> you know, we always know that that we'll dis- he and I will disagree on fighter pay till we're both dead, probably. But <laughs> yep. you can't take away like. The, the, when he did the the real chain game changer it was in 2004 or five whatever year it was and the ultimate fighter that's yes. when I really noticed everything changing in in the uh, in the MMA world suddenly you could make money suddenly my gym had more people well, Diego won the first season so we had more people than I could count all of a sudden like yeah it was that was a big deal that's cool nice so who are some people and these can be people you know people you've met or just like legendary people like a Helio Gracie whatever but who were some people that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts oh sweet lord it would be a giant I mean in the <laughs> modern era like I mean are you talking like Kano for judo C- or com- completely completely up to you it's your your personal Mount Rushmore, and oh, it doesn't have to just be four you know it can be two it can before if you want to name six go ahead <laughs> good lord i couldn't yeah yeah like <laughs> i think i i don't think i could name them like there's just so many people that have done so many think about how many people in the gracie family alone without any of the jujitsu people that come from hundreds of years before them mm-hmm. even now like there's so many and that's what i think really cool about the modern era is the internet like suddenly the world is shrunk down so small. I can see, or I can, because of airplanes, I can go train with anybody in any part of the world right. at any time. Um, you really get a sense that there's not one guy. There's revolutions, like huge ones. Again, like the Gracie's, that I, I call it a Gracie revolution. And then there's a bunch of people that do, you know, kind of micro revolutions after that. Somebody comes up with a new idea within those parameters. And so, it's really in the aggregate. Like there's not, I think today there's not one guy that like thinks of everything because there's so many smart people doing it and they have access to that information. Um, I think it would be really hard to name. I mean, obviously the the entire, you should just have one G up there for the entire Gracie family. Um, (laughs) But you should also have, I mean, they, they got their stuff from somewhere. Right. So like, I mean, they, they innovated a bunch of stuff, but 
uh, all the jujitsu people, all the, uh, yeah, I mean, good Lord, how many people, Bruce Lee, yeah, so many of them. I literally couldn't, I would have to think for days about that. <laughs> okay, that's okay. No worries, no worries. So in all your years of martial arts, combat sports, everything you've been doing, is there a philosophy you've learned or a specific teaching you've learned that is just super important to you? You know, it rises to the top. You you try to come back to it whenever you can. You teach it to your own students. Yeah, and I, I really think it's about it. And it's, I mean, I didn't come up with it. It's hundreds of thousands of years before me. Mm -hmm. I don't know, hundreds of thousands, but a lot. <laughs> and that's just the process, just staying in the process, making the process the important thing. I really, if, if you stray from that, you, you degrade. And if you stay on it, you stay fresh. So I really feel that like life is really about that process and about staying in, it's about battles and staying in that process and not letting things pull you out. And yeah. So I, I would say that's the the most important lesson that I've learned. And there's, you know, 10,000 more because I'm an idiot and I have to do everything the hard way. So <laughs> the nice thing about that is you get after you put your hand on the stove and it's deformed from being burned so many times, you do get some wisdom eventually. And uh, I would say that's where I'm at. Nice. So thinking the next 10 years, what would you hope to see from MMA and like the UFC over the next 10 years? What would you like to maybe see change? What would you like to see improve other than fighter pay? Well, obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> The, the athletes making more money yep. um, would be nice. Um, the, but really, I just think continuing to do what we're doing. Uh, it's so fun right now to still come up with techniques, to do all of these things, to innovate, to watch people take their journeys. Um, yeah, I, I would say keep doing what we're doing. Hopefully, the the uh, athletes will make a little more money eventually, and uh, it'll be even more viable than it is now. But it, it just keep on trucking. Really, that's that's. Uh, I don't want to see anything, you know, in, in 10 years, I'd like to see everybody do, I don't know, uh, mixed martial arts in space with zero gravity. <laughs> There's nothing like that, 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 uh, no. that I would concern myself with. I think just keep doing that process that you, people like you and I have been lucky enough to be a part of, um, in our time, in our place. And, uh, yeah, maybe in three or 400 years, somebody will listen to our podcast. Your yeah, podcast. There we right? go. Oh, that, now there's zero gravity MMA. So, <laughs> be interesting. So, do, right. do you think in in our lifetime, since some sort of the same age, do you think in our lifetime we'll see uh, MMA in the Olympics? No, I don't think so. I think there's so much. Well, I shouldn't say that. So here's the thing about me you'll figure out real quick is I'm terrible, terrible at predicting trends. <laughs> I can predict I can predict fighters and people to a lesser extent, but. Uh, like I thought the ultimate fighting, the, the TV show that changed everything. I thought that was just going to be a colossal waste of time. I tried to talk Diego out of it. Um, oh. So I don't know. I, I don't think so. Just because my mind is there's so many politics. It's so hard to get any combat sports in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they've got why they wouldn't have pancreas, which is basically what we do in the Olympics when you've got all the rest of them, I'm not really yep. sure. You've got boxing in there. So I don't, I don't know, but it's just, it seems like very hard to get anything in the Olympics these days. I know there's Kung Fu guys that have been trying to get like that in there and for years and years. So it, it I think there's just too many blocks unless some amazing individuals, you know, figures out how to do it or somebody on the committee just loves it and pushes it outside of that. I don't see it. So, so if you got the phone call and they said, uh, we're adding it in the next Olympics, we want you to coach the U S team. Would you do it? Oh, of course. Sure. Yes. That'd be fun. Yeah. It'd be something to do. Cool. <laughs> something to do. <laughs> there we go. Yeah.
Nice. I love things that I haven't done before, right? I learn new stuff and try to figure out new ways to solve problems. And yeah, that'd be fun. Okay, cool. Well, now I'm keeping my fingers crossed, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. These last few <laughs> questions are kind of some fun ones to wrap it up. And you can't pick something that you yourself have been involved in or worked on. So first, okay. first one, favorite martial arts book. Oh, Book of Five Rings. Easy. Oh, nice. Good answer. God, no one said that one in a while. And early on in my show, I think three or four people said that. And that hasn't been an answer in a while. So I like that. The problem with that is that the translations are so bad. Most of them, they don't. They're so, um, you get a lot of these, what I call karate filters. These guys mm-hmm. have been like two or three fights in their life. And they try to discern this brilliant strategic guy that's yep. been in God knows how many. Yeah. So you, you get a little bit of uh it won't make sense to you if you're reading the wrong translation, in my opinion. Okay. At least it didn't to me. Good. All right. And as someone who grew up in the eighties and nineties like me, do you have a favorite martial arts video game? Oh, that's a great one. Man, it's it, it's not a great game, but I loved Karate Champ, the, the <laughs> arcade one. That's so awesome. Love that thing. It was great. I used to save like I'd get a quarter and I would save it and hold on to it. And there was this, there's this little local chain called Allsops that had like gas mm-hmm. station burrito stuff. And they had the karate champ. And I would walk about, oh, it'd be about a mile to the Allsops. They had the karate. And I would like put one quarter in and play one game and then walk all the way home. It was great. You're my second or third guest that has actually said karate champ. So I love that so much. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, great. If I ever found like a stand up one cheap somewhere, like in an auction, I would probably buy it. And my wife would oh. kill me. <laughs> I would I would come to your house and play it. That's well, awesome day. If I get one, I will invite you. It'll be fun. Gold. <laughs> nice, Gold. nice. All right. Now, how about a favorite martial arts TV show? Can't pick Kingdom, obviously. Oh, TV show. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm trying to remember martial art TV shows. The problem is I don't watch TV, not because I'm like some intellectual giant, but I mm-hmm. just get ADD out and bounce around. I can watch movies, but not TV. So I'm trying to think favorite. TV show that's not Kingdom. Oh, Cobra Kai or maybe Kung Fu back in the day. Or... Oh, Kung Fu. That's it. Okay. That's the one. Kung Fu. I was a kid yeah. for All sure. Right. Love that. There we go. You watch the fight scenes now and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> really? Even for fight scenes? Because I love fight scenes. Everybody's like, oh, can you, you know, you do all this training. Can you watch it? I'm like, yeah, I love like dance fighting. I think it's so fun. The music's yep. going like, it's not real fighting in the movies. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you watch some of those old ones. You're like, oh, that's not good. That's yeah. bad. When you, when, you, when you take someone that had zero martial arts training, and, and yeah. nowadays you can take someone with zero martial arts training and they can actually make it look decent, but back yeah, then, not, not so much. Yeah, <laughs> but I loved it when I was a kid, loved the kung fu, yeah. that was it. Nice, nice. All right, how about favorite martial arts movie? That's a hard one. You know, I really love the lessons of the first Karate Kid movie. The the deal, and I saw the mm-hmm. funniest. They had something on YouTube where they showed where like Daniel Larusso was the actual bully, and the mm-hmm. rest of the guys were like, that was hilarious. But I really enjoyed that movie because of the like the like I identified with the lessons of that. Like, oh, you get a martial arts and you can fight for your self respect. Like I was like, oh, there you go. That that was very familiar to me. So I really enjoyed that one. Nice. See, and that's my go to answer because that's the reason i got involved in martial arts literally went to that movie opening night and there was a local uh, tung sudo school handing out free passes outside of the building when we walked out of the movie so oh wow <laughs> great marketing really good marketing yep. really yep. good so yeah, so then awesome. have you watched cobra kai at all have you checked it out i have not um i don't really watch tv mm-hmm. much uh, but everybody says it's really good and i'm just glad to see the, the actors still getting doing work and you know, so many people love those their beloved roles you know what i mean so it's nice that they're they're giving the people what they want yeah, that's the thing if, if you like the first one you'd you, the 
the movie, you'd probably love the show and you'd probably get sucked in and watch the whole thing. So <laughs> yeah, I better not do it then. Too many people ask. There you me. go. All right. Final, <laughs> final question. This one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. It can be, it doesn't have to be just a favorite movie fight scene. Oh, that's a good question too. A favorite movie fight scene. There was when I was young. Oh my God. It had Yul Brenner in it. What was it called? It might've been the ultimate warrior, the warrior, or the ultimate warrior. Anyway, it's a post-apocalyptic deal. And there was a fight scene at the end where he, um, the guy, I don't know why I loved it so much, but it was just an intense fight scene, probably because Jill Brenner's such a great actor. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gets this like thing wrapped around his hand and he has to cut off his hand. Ha- uh, the guy's like, it's the old thing where the guy's like hanging off of him. And he's he can't die because he's hanging off the side of the cliff or whatever. It's, I think he was in a pit or something. And he's tied to him, and he has to cut his own hand off to win the fight. And I, I don't know why I really like that fight scene. It wasn't like it was innovative. I mean, you watch it's just a different thing. And, the, and fight scenes are so cool. Just the, the difference between the first Star Wars, right, where Obi Wan and uh, and Darth Vader are basically doing kind of a an old school sword fight, like, and then the difference between in the new movies are like acrobat flipping all over with six lightsabers at the same time. And they, it, they just really have evolved, but there's something raw about that old fight scene. I think that's what it was. It just felt raw to me. The, the, and then the, the having to win by losing an appendage, I always found was a fascinating idea. So yeah, that's I think it's called the ultimate warrior. Okay. I need to look that one up. Cause that one doesn't sound familiar. Yeah. So. It has Yul Brenner in it. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I actually haven't seen it in God knows how long, but uh, so I don't know if it holds up. But I loved that movie when I was a kid. Nice. Well, now I got something to check out. So cool. Well, before I let you go, anything else you want to mention and get out there and promote or last words or whatever? Nope. If you're listening, come train with me in Albuquerque. Nice. I'm hoping. I've, I've, actually, I've never been to Albuquerque. I've been to, but I want to get down there. I've, I've, I've never Come on met. down. We'll take care of you, boss. That'd be cool. Next, maybe next road, yeah. tri- next road trip or something. I'll, I'll take the southern route and and head down there and, and stop in. But it'd be fun. But I will put links for for everything else for the school for everything else on on, on the show notes and and promote it. And like I said, it'll be um, September. What did I say now? September 15th, I believe, is when this episode should be coming out. But I will get a okay. hold of you before it comes out, and, and we'll promote the heck out of it. But I, I truly appreciate your time. It's, it's been a blast chatting with you. Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, anytime you want me on, I'm here. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.